0: What so I see from women as well, I mean, is that we can be uh, more naturally more empathetic. From a woman's perspective, I think that they can be too empathetic to the point that they can lose themselves in it. The majority of women are on the empathetic scale and can can be too caring and too involved can, and then almost lose themselves in that, you know, that then you're like, well, what's yours and what's mine? I Feel other people's emotions greatly, and uh, sometimes that can be just too much. Um, and you, you have to figure out what is like. How can I show up and be uh, caring and under, trying to under, put myself in someone else's shoes and respectful, but also not uh, not give all of myself because I need to. I need to be able to get on with the day as well.
1: Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We are here with a very special guest today, Jane Finette is with us for Unlock, Empowering Women, Empowering Leadership, Empowering Change, Empowering Impact. Jane is a passionate advocate for women and girls and nonprofit leaders, especially in the social change and social impact space. She founded an organization a few years ago called The Coaching Fellowship that does just that, helps empower and advance young women social change leaders. She's got a new book coming out called Unlocked, How Empowered Women Empower Women. And we've got a fascinating conversation about what are the obstacles for women in leadership? How can we break through that both for women and those who will have the ability to empower and put women in places of leadership. And she's going to talk about so many of the blind spots that exist in leadership and ways we can move past them to truly transform leadership for women, for leaders, for organizations, and for change. We are thrilled to be back here today because our topic today is empowerment, empowerment of women, and around social change and social impact. And Mm -hmm. Craig and I both believe strongly in that and are always looking for ways to do that. And we brought in Jane Finette with us today. She is a passionate advocate for women and girls. She's a nonprofit leader and author. And in 2014, she founded something called the Coaching Fellowship. Now, I've heard names like that before, but then I dug a little deeper. And it is a nonprofit. Now, listen to this. It helps advance young women, social change leaders. So it's not just about young women. It's not just about change. It's that unique combination and their work throughout the world. In fact, more than a 1,000 women have now graduated from the program wow. in over 70 countries. Uh, they came. They started to form something called the Women of Impact Alliance. So Jane is all about impact, empowerment, and as she'll share, leadership development. She's got a book coming out in August called Unlocked, How Empowered Women Empower Women. I'm going to read this because I just love this. I've never seen anything said this way. Jane has spent her career pushing the boundaries of community building and human potential. She's obsessed with accelerating social change, and she builds flywheel systems. We're going to talk about that which magnify participation and reciprocity to advance a fairer and more equitable, sorry, a fairer and more equitable world. And boy, could we use that now. So welcome, (laughs) Jane.
0: Hey, thank you so much, uh, Jeff and Craig. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to to share more.
1: Absolutely, glad to have you. So give us a little bit of the story, Jane, that brings you here today.
0: Yeah, gosh, where to start? well uh yes as you said i mean back 2014 um a couple years before that i actually got access to leadership development and coaching when i was an executive at mozilla which you probably have heard of the folks behind the firefox web browser Mm -hmm. and uh, i had made it into the executive suite and uh, suddenly all of these great opportunities to develop my leadership became available Hmm. and uh I had never even heard of what coaching
3: was,
0: (laughs) didn't didn't know it was a thing. It completely cracked my world open. And, uh, I thought to myself two things, firstly, I think I'm in the wrong job, which I think that happens a lot when people really get to fundamentally work on who they are and their values and what they're all about and to do in this lifetime. So I was thinking, wait a second, I think I might need to do something else with my life. And then (laughs) secondly, wow, where was this opportunity 20 years ago when I was just starting out? Because I don't have any regrets, but I know I'd have made some very different decisions. And I really wanted that for, um, for other young women and particularly in the social impact space and the development mm. sector where uh, these opportunities to develop leadership are, are really few and far between. Um, so ended up creating the Coaching Fellowship Uh, There's a very long founding story that goes with that, which if you're interested, I'll share with you. But it was a, I love to say, you know, it was a happy accident. (laughs) I wished I could say that I had this marvelous vision. Uh, I had a small vision, um, which with a a lot of help from a community of people that rallied around us became what the coaching fellowship is today. But it really was a small acorn um, (laughs) uh, when I first started, as with everything.
1: Of course. Yeah. Well, Jane, l- let's dig into that a little bit. You know, you not only decided, so what I heard is you got some development and you're like, yes. wow, this is really cool. But it's later in your career that you get it. But you decided to create this opportunity, these resources for women, young women, mm-hmm. and particularly young women who are in the social change and social impact space. So that doesn't sound like an accident. <laughs> Tell us why that group in particular. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, well, thank you for asking me that. And well, for many years, I had been uh, a mentor, you know, and had been uh, particularly supporting uh, men and women, really entrepreneurs in the, uh, in the impact sector. So people who are uh, not actually not necessarily building nonprofits, but they're, they're building for-profit businesses, but with a, with a, a social impact. Uh, mission and uh, my uh, much of my career had been around community building and uh, how to create systems where uh, someone will contribute, which helps to the contribution, the greater contribution, which encourages more contributions and so on. So I I do like to call them sort of flywheel uh, systems. So I had been mentoring many folks in the in the social impact sector about how to really engage community and um uh um participation in in organizations but when i got access to coaching i i was blown away and i realized this is something which i think still today i mean there's definitely growing there's more appetite and more understanding what coaching is Uh, but this was you know going back you know seven eight years ago Um, It's not something that people ever heard of. And certainly in the impact sector, it was, there was nothing. I mean, Hmm. absolutely nothing. Um, So when I got uh, trained as a coach and and, um, certified, um, some of the people who I'd been mentoring came back to me and said, will you coach me? And um, uh, I wanted to give back, certainly. Uh, So offered a few pro bono coaching places Um, and, uh, I decided that I would put together a small application form, um, wanted particularly to help the the women because, um, you know, I, there was a lot of, uh, conversation at that time in Silicon Valley. This was, you know, sort of 2014, the diversity debate had been Mm -hmm. cracked open at that, at that point by a young woman called Tracy Chow, which I'm not sure you've ever heard of her. She was this young Pinterest engineer who ended up becoming one of our fellows in our second program, but she had started a, um, a blog post which encouraged other Silicon Valley companies to blow the whistle on um, how many women were really in leadership positions and engineering positions, technology positions in Silicon Valley. And so she, that was just happening at the time. So I, I, I had a very strong lens on women's access and, um, and a, a hel- holding a question in my mind of what would happen if women, if young women got access to coaching much earlier than they did? Um, because we know that when they get later in their lives, they will um, uh, hit, hit glass ceilings, but also start to have a lot of internal debates about their worth, about, mm. um, so they're, they're hitting systemic bias, but then there's also a lot of internal confidence issues and, and, and so on. So, um, so I chose women, I chose the impact sector because it was something which I knew wouldn't generally have access to this. Um, and about 41 women applied to be coached by me in five days when I put that out in my blog. And, um, it doesn't sound like a small number, but I honestly thought it would be half a dozen women, you know, that had been poking me for a few months. And, (laughs) um, And I I was overwhelmed. And so I went back to the folks who I trained to coach with and said, hey, like, would you be willing to coach these wonderful women for um, pro bono? They came from 12 countries. They were uh, across East Africa, you know, uh, working in um, water space, in uh, renewable energy spaces. And uh, 16 of us said yes. That included myself. And we gave everyone a place because it wasn't a thing. And um, uh, so you can tell, do the math. We took more than one woman each and, uh, and off we went. And I thought, I was like, okay, I'm done. That was great. I felt good. Nice <laughs> to help out. But over the course of um, six months, more young women in the impact sector kept coming back to me and asking when I was going to run another program.
1: Hmm.
0: And I was like, well, it's, it's actually not a program. But of course, to the <laughs> outside, 40 plus women All starting to get this thing which they had never had access to before. I mean, people were alight talking and um, sharing their experiences because they'd never had someone care about them enough Mm. to really work on their personal, unique, individual you know leadership style and what was up for them. Uh, And then more coaches kept coming, asking, "When are you going to run another program? I'd love to help you." And uh, I was like, "Well, it's not a program." (laughs)
3: <laughs> um,
0: but they too, as coaches, didn't get an opportunity to work with these impact leaders around the world, young women who were, I mean, I don't know what you were doing when I was 20 when you were 25, but I was not saving the world at <laughs> 25. <laughs> I was living in London, having a marvelous time. And um yeah. uh, you know, so anyway, about six, nine months later, I finally surrendered to building a program. And I said, I'll do one wow. program and we'll <sighs> see what happens. And, um, and yeah, we had seven, uh, almost 800 applications Wow! and, um, we gross. gave 50 women a place. Yeah. It was extraordinary. So, yeah. And as you said, Jeff, um, we've now put, she's got 1100 women through the program and we mm-hmm. run two big fellowship programs a year. And it's seen, seen that a lot of incredible things happen because these women finally were able to work on their leadership at a much, much younger, Part of that career.
2: So, one of the things that I wonder about is when you're talking about the impact of not having these development opportunities for the young women, what what are the types of impacts that that has for them? I mean, you talk about the glass ceiling, you talk about the uh, inherent biases, and how is it that you help to transform them during that period of time?
0: Yeah, thank you. Well, I mean, systemic bias is still here. We're, mm-hmm. we're becoming more aware sure. of it and the change is happening, but it's, there's still, I just wanted to start with, there are still massive problems, I think, sure. for, for uh, women and minorities pro- across the board. We um, and, um, you know, what we see is um, uh, women really uh, being willing to uh, ask for what they're worth. Mm, so we see so women good. who are uh, willing to ask for pay raises which mm-hmm. they've never done before. Mm-hmm. Um, when that comes to being in the nonprofit space, we know that a lot of, you know, fundraising is is not for everybody, uh, for sure. Um, but being able to help women work on their confidence and getting mm-hmm. really deeply connected to their mission and purpose means they'll go out, they'll go raise more money for their organizations. Yeah. Um, we also see less burnout. Um, so we actually did a longitudinal study with the University of Southern California. Mm. Uh, so they followed our fellows for two years. Um, and uh, I have to tell you, the, um, one of the things that came back uh, was that women after it, it's uh, I don't know why I'm telling you this, actually, it's, uh, it's not good for the coaching fellowship, as it appears. But when the results came back, it appeared that the women no longer were so driven by social impact after they'd been part of our program, hmm. we were like, Oh my God, this is awful. We're, we're, we we're, we're helping them get out of the sector. Like that's not, that's not what we were here to do. Um, what we, but, uh, the, the translation of that with the, um, the, uh, psychology program at USC was that, um, before our program, uh, The young women we work with, their entire lives were driven by their job. Hmm. Um, And they, you know, they live for their job. They define themselves by their job. Everything is about um, their identity and what they do in the Hmm. world. After they had been able to spend time working on themselves, um, then they could see, oh, there's more here. There's more. I am more than just my job. And that is fundamental, absolutely fundamental. And, you know, like uh who I um like I don't know everything from what I do for sport and who my family are and my cultural heritage and all of these things. So I am no longer defining myself by this one piece, which means that they were more uh you know, they had some objectivity and were not going to burn out Uh, what the 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 idea is the thread was then they would there was more to life, you know, than there. Their job. Hmm. Um, that was incredibly powerful. It was a. It was uh, when I got the results back. As I said, we were just like, "Oh
2: dear." That's true empowerment. That's
0: awful. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, Craig. I. I think so. Yeah. Super proud of that.
1: So Jane, it's interesting. I guess it's it's surprising and not surprising that you choose to focus this investment in people in the nonprofit and impact space because. I, well, Craig and I have this personal bias that leadership is struggling in general, but I don't usually think of nonprofit spaces where I go to learn about leadership. <laughs> now, I know some people who are great leaders in the nonprofit space, but they really stand out hmm. because there's frankly a lot of just caretakers, in my opinion, in this, in that space. So not surprising. It makes sense. Uh, and it's interesting. I guess I'd like to know. When you talk about leadership in this space, what exactly is that? I think you've alluded to it about people working on themselves, but what are you helping them grow into?
3: Mm. Oh, it's a beautiful Mm -hmm. question. And multifaceted too, um, because
0: uh, we, you know, I think that what's very unique about the coaching fellowship is um, this great gift that if, if anyone has had access to an executive coach and being able to work on themselves, it's such a gift. It really is. When you, I mean, I drank coaching Kool-Aid, you can tell, but um, <laughs> the, um, when you get to work on you and the coach gets to work on you, like, wow, like that's, that's really, so, uh, it's really a true gift, I think. And so much of that is about, you know, leadership for me, leadership of self. Um, so I'm you know, uh, how am I showing up in the world? Um, and um uh am I uh, am I living my life on purpose? Am I living life according to my values? Am I um what is holding me back? Um so I can get clear on that so that I can keep stepping forward. It really, and I'm sure uh you talk about this all the time, is that when one gets to a point of Knowing oneself so greatly, then we're we're just compelled to help every other living thing on this planet also reach its own potential. Mm-hmm. And these are women who are already doing, you know they're already driven by the industry, right? driven to to help. and And you did you said care, take death. and it, it's it's true. I mean, they they are. And you know, I think there's so much more power than in enabling. More people to come for whether that's the, the communities they serve or their team members. So then it becomes about leadership of, of leadership of self, leadership of others. Um, but it's gosh, I could just talk for hours on this. <laughs> stuff. <Just> us
2: talk for. <laughs> it. <Look>. It sounds <laughs> almost water. like it's it's the way you're talking about it. It sounds like almost like the self care aspect of of getting a massage, but we're getting a massage for our lives.
3: <laughs> Whoa! Because you have oh, to yeah, step we- out
2: of. Often say, you know what? I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to accept that that somebody else can help me.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, it's that is that is true. Though there's a, I think there's a part. Um,
0: no, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I think um, you know it has to start with yourself, and um, and that willingness to be to be vulnerable, to Mm. look deep into, into yourselves. Like that, that takes a lot of, a lot of courage.
1: Yeah. Shane, my guess is if some people heard you or saw about the program, if they were willing to be their version of honest, they would say something to you like, you know what? This sounds more like personal development, more than leadership development. (laughs) Because there's a lot of people in this world that they That's how they see this. It's not about leadership. Leadership is learning the tools and tactics. (laughs) But what would you say to that person?
3: Yeah. Well,
0: you know, I mean, I think it's a both end, actually. I mean, you know, I like to say that what we do is we do whole person coaching uh, because, you know, you're if that's personal and professional development, you're not you're still the same person when you go to work, right? And so whatever is going on for you in your personal life is going to affect what happens in your professional life. Oh, and vice versa as well. So for me, there's no difference. It is just all about you, you know, and who you are in the world. Um, And um, when I think about leadership, I mean, uh, I've said this for a long time. So um, leadership means different things to different people, right? It's kind of like the a tofu word just takes on whatever flavor <laughs> sauce you put in the, I'm a vegetarian since my whole life. So, you know, and so, yeah, I, I really like the people who are like, this is all about the tools and things. And like, I really love to sit with them and, and kind of broaden their perspective and their horizons, because I think we can all be leaders. We don't need to run an organization or a team or even a project. Right um, to show up in, in our families as um, someone who was an example of living your best life, mm-hmm. of um, living your life on on purpose. Um, Karen Kimsey House, she's the founder of uh, co-founder of the Coaches Training Institute, uh, the Coactive Training Institute, which is called now, uh, and she says, to, you know, to live your life as a on purpose is a radical act, <laughs> and. You know, when I think about leadership, I'm like, wow, like those people who are actually willing to be true to, your, I mean, was the thousand year, you know, to yourself be true, you know, is um, it, it, you know, there are as much leaders as what you 500 organizations and Bill Gates, you know, yeah. like,
1: um, yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about, you. you talked about early on the biases, some of the systemic issues. Uh, challenges that women face. And my anecdotal evidence walking through this life is in the nonprofit space, it's kind of funny. People say people in nonprofits don't make any money. I know some people that run nonprofits that make incredible money. Uh, nearly all of them are men. So the lar- my experience is the larger institutional nonprofit organizations Many of them are run by men. They're the leader. They're the leaders. And where women are showing up in this are the entrepreneurial startups. They're smaller organizations. Are are we seeing a change in that yet, Jane?
0: Um I think it's slow. I really do. You know, part of it, um, and this is across, I know you, you said specifically with the nonprofit sector, but across the for-profit, um, there's something they call the broken, the broken ladder. Um, which is um, young women not being able to get their first leadership opportunity. Um, so the uh, okay. statistics are basically uh, for, every, um, for every 10 men, only seven women will get their first leadership position, which it doesn't sound like a big gap. But if you actually look at for black women, I think it's something like 50 um, uh, something percent. And for Latino women, it's even, it's even less than that. Okay. Um, so um, we think I think there's a lot of focus on trying to get more women into positions, senior positions in uh, the C-suite and vice presidents and all this. But what we're what we're really missing is it, and and in this I don't always believe this is a pipeline issue for for women. There are plenty of capable women out there, but I do believe the broken ladder where is that really is a, a pipeline issue because if there are less women getting their first start, that means that whole mm. trajectory is inhibited. And gotcha. I, we see that in the nonprofit space for sure, because there's a lot of women who want to be in this sector. They are caregivers. They are motivated by education and healthcare and, you know, the environment just, you know, more naturally perhaps. Mm. And, um, uh, and then they can't – there are very few leadership positions in the nonprofit space as well. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of doers and, you know, the management uh, roles aren't quite as um, – uh, there aren't as many than in, than in the, the for-profit sector. Uh, but that, that initial start for me is where uh, I'd like there to be more focus, particularly in the nonprofit space, and that is not changing yet.
1: Guessing from the way you're describing it, that a lot of the women in your program are working in impact organizations that are in early stages, um, because they're younger women. And I'm just going to guess that culturally, young women are not getting invited to lead more established nonprofits. That's my guess. Established nonprofits that are tapping, you know, women in their early 20s, for example, to lead no, them.
0: Right. Right. Thank you. Thank you for the, for the reminder. Um, and yes, and you're quite, you're quite right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we definitely have uh, a lot of incredible uh, impact entrepreneurs, um, you know, but it's very interesting. We've been doing this work now for, uh, for seven years. And if I take a woman like, um, uh, Sheila Warren, uh, so Sheila Warren was one of our fellows out of the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, in 2015. At that time, she was kind of like the vice president of partnerships at a relatively small nonprofit called TechSoup Global. And they helped nonprofits get access to <coughs> pardon me, technology products. So um, whether that was a, a database, CRM database, uh, or other um, pieces of software which would help them um, run their, their nonprofit and you know they managed a a bunch of discounts from large corporations. So you could go to TechSoup and um, uh, find products that were heavily discounted as a nonprofit. So she did that. Um, she is a woman of color. She's three children and um, uh, continued to do extraordinary things. And then just a couple of years ago, Um, joined uh, the World Economic Forum as their uh, head of blockchain. Um, So she did a career pivot and um, we'll credit Coaching Fellowship to her stepping deeply into her leadership as Mm. uh, a woman of colour, as a mother, and as uh, someone who um, uh, is really kind of owning it in the field of technology and impact. Um, So... um, you know, when I think about her now, she's in this influential position. So, what we don't, you know, it's hard to see it right now when we work with a woman who's in her late twenties, let's say. But I'm curious, and we're just in the middle of it now. Like, what happens ten years later? You know, what ha- because they they are uh, focusing on their own growth and stepping even more deeply yeah. into their leadership, and now they're getting noticed. So yeah. it does take some time, but I, I mean, I'm seeing glimmers of it. I couldn't, say, I couldn't put my name on it, but of <laughs> course my wish is, and this is the whole point of starting Coach Fellowship, which the younger someone is when they can get access to themselves, then the trajectory will change later on and they will oh. get tapped for, for these roles.
2: This is amazing. I, I guess I have, have had a very different perspective over the last week because my son just told me he's, he's getting married. And so- Ooh his That's his future bride is a um, is a woman of color, and so just looking at the opportunities that she's going to have now i'm I'm listening with a different set of ears, I think because now I want to make sure that she has access to everything that we're talking about you know it's It's been kind of a little bit at arm's length before, but now it's it's coming a lot more real, so I really appreciate the work that you're doing so when you're talking about somebody like that. How how can we help her get the kind of support in leadership that she would need?
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, just to uh, be clear, as a woman of color, Craig, mm-hmm. yes. Um, well, something that we've learned both, and uh, to be completely honest with you. So, um, you know, I I founded this organization, and for the longest time, you know, people would say to me, and this was culturally in the beginning, the questions were, because you used to work a lot in the middle East in the beginning. I had mm. a lot of contacts in say, Jordan, Afghanistan, um, Yemen. And so we would, we worked in our very early days of coach fellowship. There were women from those countries mm. and they'd say to me, well, how is coaching different from a woman in Yemen as opposed to a woman in Los Angeles? And I'd say, well, you know, uh, Coaching is for everybody. We're right. just whatever you want to work on, the coach is going to help you work on. Mm-hmm. And I took this lens for many years and it wasn't until maybe you three, four years ago when we started to have more women of color who, well, I was going to say asked and I, um, then my head went to demanded and they really did not demand. But I'm very proud to say that they they really um you know clearly asked clearly (laughs) asked um and uh to have a you know a woman of color coach them uh because if you you know the the industry the coaching industry is uh predominantly uh you know i'll say for myself as a white middle-aged woman Mm -hmm. um that that is a very um, large demographic of the of the coaches so Mm -hmm. Our on our coach in our coach community, if you looked at the pictures three four years ago on our website of of the coaches, you would see lots of white faces.
2: Wow. Okay.
0: And um, and so yeah, something shifted, uh, and in the diaspora, and I think we're all not not uh, unawake to that now, where women of color started to ask for what they wanted, what they needed, and thank goodness they did because we had a big wake up call, oh, which were. Yeah. So we started actively recruiting coaches of color mm-hmm. so that when uh, the individual came into our program, we made sure that we could match them with someone who did have um, a, a shared experience mm-hmm. and could potentially coach them a little bit more on what is a very different experience for yeah. for women uh, wherever they are, you know, whether it's in the impact sector or not. But Um, So that's something that we've, we've worked really hard on these last years. So being able to provide uh, women of color with access to um, coaches and leadership development which are, which are right for them is, I think is absolutely critical.
2: Hmm. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cardaveracom confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Welcome back.
1: You know, we're talking about nonprofit and impact space. And as I listen to this, chain, it feels like We have different kinds of organizations, but the same leadership challenges. And that it's certainly about access, especially for earlier stage women and their careers, that they're not getting offered that generally. (laughs) But I also know, and I won't name names, but I was recently talking to a friend of mine who works in the nonprofit space. He's a very strong leader. And uh, there's an opportunity coming up to lead the larger organization. And I said, well, why don't you pursue that? That seems like you. And he said, no, they've already decided who that's going to be. And I said, well, who is it? He said, well, it's an internal person. It happens to be a woman who's older, uh, probably in her 50s. And I said, and she's currently the COO. And I thought, now for me, yes, I can see CEOs, you know, That uh, When I see COO, I don't always think of the the CEO. I just don't. That's not my natural progression. And I said, so how do you see that happening? He said, well, I think it should go great, except she has no empathy, no ability to communicate with people. She's horrible at building relationships. And they think she's amazing because she's an executor, Mm. literally. And I thought, (laughs) I I just sit here and go, oh, my God the blinders and so to me it could be a non-profit it could be for-profit i hear you talking about women working on themselves empowering themselves what are you offering them typically on the tool side how are you helping them grow on the tool side that and both to be better more impactful leaders uh
3: just a quick sidebar on your
0: on your colleague did you mean his blinders or her blinders? Like, is there some bias? And because there's a double bind for women, where Selection. they're kind of if they're if they're you know assertive, they can like it comes off as aggressive.
1: And no so, uh, knowing this person, yeah. I would say um, I, I thank you for bringing that up. I would say that's uh, this is not a, a powerful assertive woman. This is. Somebody who lacks empathy, because I think he would see that gap.
3: Yeah.
1: And, and, and to be honest, knowing our culture, very possible that that's not how she started. Because, as you know, there's a mm. good number of women who said, I'm going to, if I'm going to succeed, I'm going to lead like men.
0: It's the only example they have?
1: That's and those only one I have. And many of them are horrible examples. Right. They're horrible examples. <laughs> no, it's yeah.
0: true. No, it is. And, um, uh, right. Thank you. Thank you for saying. And, you know, on the tool side, um, so we are, uh, we're predominantly focused on the, the kind of the inside out game.
3: Mm-hmm. Um
0: right. so, uh, so it's less, um, you know, teaching you how do you be a, a looking like in the workplace setting more like how would you be a good leader, which is uh, make sure you do one-on-ones <laughs> with your direct reports and make sure they, they have a, development plan for themselves, you know, and uh, so uh, very critical, but that's not our core competency as an, as an organization. So they are much more the, the kind of internal tools of, um, you know, understanding, um, uh, again, back, which you might've said was the more personal development, but more the, uh, okay, so I'm having i re- I'm being reactive right now. So, um, and first of all, Tool number one, understanding you're being reactive.
2: <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> Very important. Just
0: catch yourself just for a hot minute and then, um and then be able to unpack, of course, what, what is that? Like, what, why am I being triggered? And so um, I, I, you know, I, I think it's so hard to, to, I, I really appreciate people who teach empathy because I'm like, gosh, I just, I, that's like a, life project surely so, <laughs> because if you if you've not got it at the beginning like i feel like you have to have some kind of catastrophic event to get all mm. humble or or of course is you know it, nature wants all different kinds of people is that you more left-brained and i know that's all taboo talking right lane right brain left brain stuff but you know we do need more people who are as we need also need people who are the executor, God, I hate to say that in air quotes, Jeff, ex- <laughs> executor. Um, you know, it's it's uh, being able to understand one another's differences and our kind of uh, appreciating some of it, but that also needs her to come back and appreciate too. So I know I'm circling around your question on tools, but, um yeah, n- not so much like the hard, hard and fast roles of leadership mm-hmm. from our side, yeah.
1: Well, you talked about empathy, and I love the topic of empathy because I think it's uh, one. As we, Craig and I, have had many guests talking about how confusing it is, and one thing that I hear regularly, and I and I've I've put an end to it. I I put a hard stop to it now. People regularly say, "Yeah, I know empathy is important, but you've got to be careful. You're not too empathetic." <laughs> and I have a hard pushback to that, and say. I don't agree with you at all. I think it's not possible you cannot be too empathetic, but you can be you can be too compassionate in the sense of not making the decisions you need to, not having the conversations you need to, but in their mind, and I think this is the dangerous part, they equate I have to be able to have that direct honest conversation with you, make maybe set a hard boundary, and that's why I don't want my empathy to get too far. Well, no, those are two different things. So Talk about empathy, Mm, what it is and what it's not in leadership.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you brought up uh, compassion too. So yeah, I think people do get those muddled muddled up. And uh, Mm -hmm. what I see from women as well, I mean, is that we can be uh, more naturally more empathetic. And um, from a woman's perspective, I think that they can be too empathetic to the point that they can lose themselves in it so I I, I I you know just taking that woman's lens for a moment um, the majority i mean and that's my humble opinion of women are on the empathetic scale and can can be too caring and too involved and and then almost lose themselves in that you know like then you're like well what's yours and what's mine you know mm-hmm. because i um i feel so much like i I would say for myself, you know, I'm I'm definitely I feel other people's emotions greatly, and uh, sometimes that can be just too much. Um, And you so you have to figure out like what is, uh, like how can I show up and be um, uh, caring and under trying to put myself in someone else's shoes and respectful, but also not uh, not give all of myself because I need to. I need to be able to get on with the day as well. Um,
1: well, that's the others, oh, go ahead. Sorry,
0: go ahead. Um, well, and just saying, on the other side, you know, I've co- I'm just thinking of a a person who I coached a couple of years ago, a gentleman CEO of a company, um, who who is empathetic, but kind of kind of thought he had to kind of intellectualize it, you know, and would be like kind of trying to make rational decisions about how he. Uh, interact with people in their personal situations and he'd be like well yeah what if I talk to this person who I know her mother's you know going through cancer treatment and like so he'd kind of almost strategic try to bring like a strategy into empathy and I'd be like no 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 no, no. we don't do it like you either are empathetic or you're not you can't just like turn it on you know it's like not a tool <laughs> um, so I think people can go to that extreme as well where they're like okay I'm in a one-on-one so I should really ask them how they're doing they kind of don't really want to you know?
2: we had one story from from a podcast guest where he talked about a person that he worked with who clearly doesn't have the relationship building natural side of things and so he figured out hey leadership is all about relationship building and relationship building is about actually spending time with other people and caring about them and so forth. And he just put on his calendar, these are the things that I need to do. I need to spend time with these people. This is what I have to do to be an effective leader. He was trying to take a move towards that direction and at least say, okay, I understand that I am not naturally going to do this. So I have to make a plan for how I'm going to. And maybe that was that's this person's yeah,
3: totally.
0: attempt at no. becoming more empathetic. Yeah. And is, I mean, and isn't that wonderful? Actually. Yeah. That, that <laughs> yes. you know, that recognizing that this would be, this would be helpful. Um, I I just remember in those early days, I think I try not to be judgmental, but it was sort of like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, you know, it, yeah, it's easier for some people than others, but at least they're trying,
1: which is yeah. huge. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting piece. I, and I actually realized I misspoke because earlier I said something about empathy, not being too empathetic, but being too compassionate. Yes. The word I meant was sympathetic.
3: Oh, right, that was the word.
1: right. So I go into sympathy mode and I make decisions from a sympathy place versus an empathy place, <clears throat> right. which are very different. And uh, it, it's interesting what you talked about, Craig, because I'm pondering that a lot about does the motivator matter? There's some new clients of mine. The guy said to me, you know, I'm just not very good at remembering names he was impressed that we had a session together it was only 11 people and he said within 10 minutes you knew everybody's name sure mm-hmm. i said yeah okay what that's a he skill goes, you develop and i said well let me ask you a question um do you care about their names <laughs> or do you think it's important to know their name he said well it's important to know their name i said maybe that's the problem mm. You're Great trying time. to remember their name because it's the thing you're supposed to do versus actually caring about them and their name and saying, I care mm-hmm. enough about you to remember your name. And he said, wow, that's probably true because I'm using it <laughs> as a tactic, not a way of being. And I hear, Jane, a lot of your coaching is taking people from tactics to ways of being and and tapping into who they are and mm-hmm. just being themselves.
0: Yes, yeah, I love that. Uh, yeah, I sp- say very often, you know, it's... um I think um, what we're helping people do, and I think you do as well, is is to bring also the being into the doing. Right? Is that yeah. if you're if you're only doing, then you know that's like for the sake of what? Um, right. But if you're and if you're only being, well, that can be a very nice intellectual, you know, <laughs> stimulating <laughs> conversation <laughs> with no action. <laughs> But we do, you know, being able to bring the being and the doing together when you can become more conscious of who you are when you're doing something and your impact, then there's this um, uh, deepen the learning, forward the action, deepen the learning, forward the action, right? Where it's this rhythm of um, it feels much more fluid and natural and yeah, more alive, more
3: human.
2: Let me ask a question from as the non-professional coach here i mean i've been through coaching training and so forth but that's not what i do on a regular basis i'm more of, on the consulting side so both of you are coaches and we're talking about empathy and kind of sh- shedding the different or showing the differences between there's empathy and being able to make decisions and there's this place and i think the fear comes in okay if i get too close to this person i won't be able to be objective I get too close to this person i'm going to be making a decision that's for that person rather than what's best for the company or what's best for my career is that what we're really talking about here
1: well i have i'm going to jump in because something popped in my head Uh, i I believe that part of the problem is they believe they're objective already and the truth is they're not (laughs) I <laughs> okay. think they're, that people love to believe they're objective. And if I go over here, I'm no longer objective. And they're not really objective. They're so okay. layered with biases and, and unconscious biases and judgments. Now, that's how I would approach it. So I'm curious to hear what you have to share, Jane. Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, the,
0: the business of, you know, business is really people. Right. Hmm. And I'm just like, when are we going to finally understand that? (laughs) You're like, okay, you have all these people working for you and they're the ones doing the work. And yet it's your business objectives. I'm like, yeah, it's not going to happen with all these, you know, these folks don't, you know, feel appreciated and, you know, get to thrive and all these good things. So I, yeah, it just, it breaks my heart sometimes when I. You know, when I would kind of play something like that, because I'm just like, God damn. Yeah. And you wonder why we still have problems. And I just saw someone post the other day on LinkedIn about how, you know, uh, HR, uh, human resources, or people, manage, uh, uh, um, leaders and so on, uh, are uh, kind of being sidelined still. You know, they're, I think the comment was, gosh, if your head of people doesn't report to your CEO, like, think about that you know, like, um, and uh, so, sorry, sidetracking a little bit there, but um, yeah, I'm like, gosh, like it's, uh, it's all together and it's not an either or.
2: I want you to repeat that, that phrase that you talked about a little bit ago, when you, when you started getting, getting your energy up, what was that that you said again?
0: Um, gosh, the business of people, Business is about
2: people, right?
0: The business of, uh, yeah is about people
2: i about mean it's people. that is so important i think that's the the yeah. core of what we really talk about you know is when you're in a when you're a leader you have to work with people hmm <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> this is like, there's a lot of books out at the moment you're know, about like humanizing leadership and like yeah and just like where, uh, why do we have to have these conversations <laughs> like why is this so hard i mean i know we're leadership junkies here for sure and maybe there's a whole world out there well there clearly is a whole world out there that doesn't quite get that yet
3: um
2: but there are people like to your point earlier you know right left right brain left brain or you know the the thinker versus the feeler um and that's that's one of the things that i've worked through i'm i'm much more in my head than I have been in my heart until more recently, and that's something that I've really been learning and growing in. Um, and not everybody understands the differences, and they think that everybody is just made the same way. And so when they approach things, you know, like the way I would used to approach things, it was, oh, okay, that doesn't make sense in my head, so it must not make sense. But if I were to look at it from a heart-based perspective and and actually caring about the other person. Then it makes sense in a very different way
3: totally. And life is full of um, uh contradictions, yeah, you know? like right.
0: If you just stop for a second, like there's so much, which is um, you know i've I've read that as humans, you can hold multiple different perspectives at any um, one time, right. right? asking yourself like rationally, you know there are seven different perspectives that I'm currently holding about this topic. Hmm. Uh, but the one I the one I choose is, you know, is is the one that's the truth and <laughs> right. Um, so it's there's paradoxes everywhere. And so
3: yes.
0: being uh, able to hold the paradox, like I know it's asking a lot of people about the, or people talk about polarities, right? You know, this it's both true. Um, and that is a brain. Uh, hmm. But that's the beauty and the messiness of what it means to be human.
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm, and I'm listening to a book right now. <clears throat> For the second time, I went back to it because I just wanted to refresh it. And it's called The Righteous Mind. It's a oh, wonderful goodness. book. Wow. It's a wonderful book. It's a frightening book. <laughs> the degree of the depth of our biases. And they were saying, there's so much in it. And he was saying that people with higher IQs, Um, are better able to come up with reasons, a wider range of reasons to support an argument. Okay? However, typically, they're able to do that for their side of the argument, not the other side. Mm -hmm. So, they're always trying to find these correlations, and there's so much in there about, you know, I, I came away listening this morning about confirmation bias and I mean, I'm just sitting here, my head wants to explode of, (laughs) I want to send something out to invite the world to send me any evidence, any evidence that there's no such thing as confirmation bias. Because if you accept that it's there, we can change this pretty quickly. But people think they don't have it. And that's the confirmation bias. (laughs) You know, the ultimate, you don't know what you don't know. It's the most giant blind spot on the planet, I believe in leadership, is this belief that what they believe is true Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. being open to the possibility that they're missing something. (laughs) Come on.
0: Yeah. Well, but what a thing you're asking, right? I mean, as as a leader, you know, maybe of a company that is 25,000 people, you know, and you're supposed to have all the answers, right? Um, And being willing to, to put oneself out there and say, help me. You know, where am I blind? Where am I, mm-hmm. you know, what? how else can I see? Like, wow, like that's, um, that's some pretty special leadership right there. And yeah. gosh, do I wish that for, <laughs> for everyone who's uh, who, who has that kind of responsibility.
1: Well, I would like to follow up, Jane, on something Craig was talking about to get your take on it. There are probably thousands of assessments out there, and mm-hmm. there's right brain, left brain, You know, there's this, I'm a thinker, feeler, all these things. And the one concern I have is that we can fall into the trap that we look at the assessment and determine that if I'm this, and that's my natural state. in order for me to be over here, it's this huge lift. But I'm not fully convinced that those assessments tie to the concept of empathy. Like someone who says, "I'm a thinker versus a feeler therefore I'm less empathetic." I don't buy that at all. I know people who are thinkers who are very empathetic. <laughs> I think I think it's easy. I think there's this trap that we fall into these assessments and then decide, "Well, this is just how I am." And I think empathy crosses these lines, and it's a trap
3: to say that it doesn't So, I'm. So on the assessment side, uh, I, I
0: mean, I think it can be useful, you know, especially like with giving voice and sort of names and an ability to self reflect, but, but they can be like this over-rotation as you're, you know, then you, you're kind of in a box and we should never, be, we're far too complex uh, individuals to be in one, any one box. And I I do agree with you too, that the, the, the um, ability to change like I I know there's like I don't think you can change your values you really don't might some might become more obvious to you as you look go through your life you know um but ultimately you know if we have a desire to uh become better at something or uh if you have an interest in something then humans are are amazing like they can uh, change and adapt and I mean We've been doing it for millennia, um, but it is more: Am I willing to? Do I want to? And to to what? Right for the sake of what? Um, and uh, you know, coming back to coaching or having someone in your life who can help you unpack that is, I think, is super important. Otherwise, yeah, you're just kind of go and I don't mean to bash on Strength Finder, but you know, this or Adam Grant just came out with this new version as well, right, Uh, with all these tools. And so you've just kind of done it and, you know, oh, I'm X. But with no conversation, no context, no deep interrogation of, well, firstly, is this true? But then what does that mean for me? And what am I going to actually do with it?
1: I guess my takeaway on that is because I know a lot of people still refer to and use the DISC assessment. I'm gonna have to go back and look at it. I'm not sure empathy is listed under any of them. Yet I think it's easy to decide that you know if you're a D, you can't be empathetic. D, you're, you're not <laughs> I empathetic. Oh, the eyes are empathetic, but I know eyes yeah. who aren't empathetic at all. Yeah, and to have it be more of this um, overlay. Mm-hmm. That what does it look like mm-hmm. to be an empathetic D? What does it look like to be an empathetic I and empathetic S and C or whatever assessments we're using? I. I think it's so easy to fall. I'll just call it, keep calling it a trap that there's this easy answer. And I think the easy answer is decide that people matter and act accordingly.
2: And I think that's the thing, though, Jeff. I think from my experience growing up, um, definitely a high T versus F, you know, thinker versus feeler on the Myers Briggs scale. And what's happened for me over time is realizing that people are important. I have made a conscious choice to make sure that they are important to me and understand what empathy means. There's been a lot of training that my wife has done with me, <laughs> let me tell you. And so along the, the 33 years that we've been married, there's, I've had to learn a lot of lessons about tone of voice and actually just listening, being present, which I've learned a lot from you, Jeff. You know, There are a lot of things that I've learned over time that have brought into my toolkit that it it all does come down to what you just said, which is because I care about people, I'm going to learn how to use these tools and and be more of the authentic person that I want to be.
1: Well, this is a great conversation, Jane. Uh, There's this question I want to close with. In the nonprofit space specifically, generally the keys to the kingdom are held by the board,
3: mm-hmm.
1: or an executive committee of the board. They're making decisions about who's in leadership. They make decisions about whether they get leadership development support or not. They they make those decisions. So my question, my question to you, Jane, is: you have the opportunity right now to say something to these boards. What do the boards need to hear? Mm-hmm.
3: Uh,
0: well, firstly, I think. Um the, I mean, the evidence speaks for itself these days. I mean, putting more women in leadership positions uh, increases impact, increases bottom line. Um, when you look at diversity um, uh, of uh, background and ethnicity, again, increased innovation. Why would, you, why would you not bring more? If you want to have greater impact in your org, why would you not do that? Yes. Um, if I might, if you might allow me just a second, the one thing I would love 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 to say and this is more directed actually at funders um is mm. uh women's organizations are some of the most underfunded mm. so not only the women leaders of non and for-profit startups and so on getting absolutely just a couple of percentages of the of the money out there which is available um but also for funders in the non-profit space going Uh, And considering that a women's organization is even worth funding like those um, that is a a big sort of flashlight for me where I'm like, goodness, how is this, you know, again, not being um, not being taken seriously. So uh, that is sorry, that's my little rant on the side. Um, uh, And I would also uh, say to board members. So, yes, within the organization, look at the leadership. The leadership within yourself as well. How many of you are sitting around the table? And is there a person of color? Hmm. How many women do you have on the board? Yeah. You know, um, because you yourselves need to also just been talking about not being blindsided. It's like we may be missing out. Are we? Are we a representative of the organization that we're serving? Yeah. You know. Uh, so if you're helping, if you're on the board of an organization in Africa, do, you know. Do you have any people from africa on your board do you, i mean really like right. that white savior thing is a whole it's a whole thing which i could get really ranty about too but um thanks for letting me uh bring that, bring that in both
1: <laughs> no that's what this is all about jane thank you thank you for bringing your wisdom uh we always want to wrap up and, and allow our guests to share anything that particular you want to promote today
0: Thank you. I, you know, I'd love to um, promote a program from the Coaching Fellowship, which uh, will be open uh, later in June. Uh, it's the first uh, uh, of – it's the inaugural program of the Nightingale Fellowship. Hmm. We were very fortunate to uh, get some funding from Jack Dorsey's uh, nonprofit, Start Small, to build a, uh, a coaching program which is serving um, – direct practice professionals. So these are young women leaders uh, working on the COVID front lines and in COVID recovery. And so our applications will be open uh, June 21st. So if you know a young woman who's been working, supporting um, in a direct care capacity, which is kind of, that means kind of touching someone, actually physically touching whether you're a at working, you know, you're a healthcare practitioner, you're a homeless shelter person, you're a food bank worker. Um, uh, this is a fellowship that would be open to you. And the program is all about uh, helping you um, build yourself back stronger. We are so grateful to everything you've been doing and um, uh, we're trying to create an opportunity for self-care. And um, they're already resilient, that's for sure, but they being able to recover and come back stronger. Gonna take some work. So um thanks for letting me share that. And that's mm-hmm. it um our website address is tcfs.org. Tcfs.org. Thank
1: so we t-c-f-s. will share that. And what is the best way for people to connect with you, Jane?
0: Oh sure. Um so LinkedIn is you know just super easy. There is only one Jane finette which of course there's only just one Jane Finette in the world, but um <laughs> um, you'll easily find me. I'd be delighted to, uh, to hear from you, please. If you do connect, just drop me a little line, you know, of, of that you heard me on, on your podcast, that would just be great for some reference. And yeah, I'd love to connect.
1: Wonderful. Jane, we always wrap up with a question or two and, uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to just close with this question for you. Talk to us about an impactful role model for you. Who was that and what was the key to that?
3: Thank you. Thank you for asking me this. And I I, I
0: have to tell you, it's it's Mitchell Baker. So Mitchell Baker was the co-founder of Mozilla, uh, along with Brendan Ike. And uh I've had the great honor and privilege of working for Mitchell for about 10 years off and on. I was her chief of staff for a good three of those. And um the reason why, and, uh, you know, when I, I first started working for Mozilla in 2007, which feels like a lifetime ago, but um, um, what Mitchell demonstrates, like, the way she has built Mozilla is really how she lives her life. And that is one of transparency, of openness, uh, of multiple alternative perspectives. Like she will say all the time, where am I being blindsided? You know, help me see. Um she also would um uh take a long time to answer questions which is one i first got to know would be so awkward um but what i realized is she's been incredibly thoughtful about what she's saying because as a a leader of that you know sort of capacity and responsibility um she always wanted to make sure that she was um giving the best possible advice and answer that that she could um but her, um, the way that she has built distributed systems, which is how I've built coach, coaching fellowship, uh, by helping people lead from the edges, um, being able to really push leadership right to the edge, so that everyone can contribute. We started with you know, talking about flywheel systems. I learned all of that from Mitchell, um, which is when you can empower everyone to participate; they will show up and then some you know like it's when you try to control people um you're only going to get so much
1: so good well thank you jane thanks for being here for sharing and most important thank you for the work you do in the world mm, yes.
0: thank you so much thank you for the wonderful
3: opportunity
2: If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities, and you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to Cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside.
3: You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig,